This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22, and my co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJ Scholes 24 With the conclusion of the Stanley Cup playoffs, we are now into the summer months where teams begin their makeovers in preparing for the next season. At the same time, we are here to help fantasy hockey players do the same thing for your leagues and in DFS play. That said, I'm looking forward to all the relevant off-ice news with my co-host, A.J. Scholes. How are you doing, partner? I'm doing great, Paul. Ready, uh, enjoying the off season here. You know, where uh, I've actually been taking in a, a ton of uh, Women's World Cup action. Uh, sorry that your Canadians got <laughs> bounced yesterday. The ladies uh, get losing to Sweden there, but uh, yeah, Rotowire providing some great coverage for that. So uh, I've been kind of headlining that for us and, and really enjoying it. But you know. We got to talk hockey. We had uh, the draft and we had uh, we got to recap the Stanley Cup final here. So it's time to get, you know, get ready for the upcoming season schedule coming out soon. We'll be able to see uh, when the Maple Leafs are going to lose to the Penguins uh, on the <laughs> schedule. So I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's talk some puck, man. You're fired up. Well, so am I. I love this part of the year when uh, if you do your homework, you can really set yourself up for a good season of season long uh, fantasy play. And uh, that's first and foremost for me. And also I love the DFS side of things, too. But uh, before we do that, let's take a look backwards for a few minutes now, AJ, and look back at that Stanley Cup final, which saw the St. Louis Blues and stun the Boston Bruins, I'll say, in Game 7 to earn that franchise's first ever title. For me, this came down to a few key elements, partner. Uh, first of all, uh, Boston winning Game 6, it looked for all the world that they were going to they were gonna waltz to the, to the Cup in Game 7, but St. Louis... Their overall style, AJ, for me, they matched the Bruins physically. That was a key element. The Blues' defense also matched the Bruins' defense top to bottom. We had talked about both of these defensive groups were very deep. And and uh, overall, I think health played a big factor in this. Uh, it was no, There was no doubt to me that Patrice Bergeron was a little banged up for the Boston Bruins, and that was a key blow. And he surely wasn't the only one on that side. And there were probably some bumps and bruises on the Blues side, but to me, Bergeron didn't look good, and that was a key factor. But another key factor... 
Jordan Bennington matched Tukarask save for save and then some. So in the end, it was a bit of a coin flip and it went in the Blues' favor and uh, it was quite a party that, th- that they threw for their winning team. But uh, my impressions were that the Blues overall, they matched the, the, the Bruins on every level and then some and it was something that was, they were a little underrated compared to the, the bees uh, heading into this thing but they matched them and, and eventually won yeah absolutely i totally agree i i honestly thought uh when it was game seven you know when game six uh went in boston's favor i said this thing's over uh unfortunately you know the blues made a good run and you know boston's gonna win in seven and we'll have to you know talk about that but uh, it just didn't pan out that way. And I totally agree with everything you said. The the physicality was there from the Blues, the scoring, the defense, uh, and Jordan Biddington. Look, I, I know uh, that, uh, you know, O'Reilly got the Conn Smythe, but in my opinion, uh, I think that should have gone to Biddington. You know, he, he was just outstanding. You knew he wasn't going to win the Calder um, because he didn't play the whole season, unfortunately. Uh, I think if he had, uh, I think he walks away with that trophy. I think he's in contention for the Vesna more if he plays the whole season, obviously. Um, but uh, I think he should have gotten the Smith in, in my opinion. I think they got that one wrong. Uh, I agree. Injuries took a took a toll on Boston, but certainly that's that's not going to be the excuse. I look forward, Paul, to seeing your picture next to the Stanley Cup when your boy Jordan uh, Bennington brings it back to your hometown there. Uh, so you'll have to send that out for us. But, uh, yeah, before we kick off the rest of the show, do my uh, you know reminder uh, to our listeners that uh, throughout the weeks here, uh, you know, we're not going to be doing a show every single week, but you can always tweet at us um, about your keeper questions, your draft questions. Just shoot us a message on on Twitter there uh, and we'll try and get back to you. As Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow Paul, the Statsman at Statsman 22. You're right about one thing. I'm going to be part of that Stanley Cup get together in Richmond Hill when Bennington comes to, to town. So I will try and get a picture with the cup, maybe even with him. We'll see how that works out. So Just don't touch it, Paul. Don't don't jinx your Maple Leafs <laughs> by, by touching it. I've already kissed the cup many times, AJ. I've got a thing for it. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's take a look at uh, the recent NHL amateur draft. Uh, we'll focus for our purposes on the first round, AJ, and. Uh, you know, the um, the U.S. program has improved by leaps and bounds over the years, and there was really, it was really amplified in the first round of this draft, where there were as many picks from the U.S. ranks as there were from Canada. I believe that's the first time that's ever happened, uh, unless I miss my guess. And right at the top of the list, Jack Hughes gets to be the number one pick. Let's talk a little bit about him, AJ. And the thing that leaps out about him for me. 5'10 is what he's listed at in terms of height, 160 pounds. Uh, you know, it wasn't so long ago that people were looking for those 6'3", 220-pounders, but we're seeing a turn toward the more diminutive forward speed and skill t- tended to dominate a lot of the picks in this round. And so uh, the NHL has proved uh, the, the way the game is going that there's room for the smallish player, and it's become less of a talking point. But I think it's really interesting to see a guy this light. He's going to fill out, no question. He's probably going to put 20 pounds on before he even steps on the ice in the NHL. That's my guess. But uh, this guy's got all the flash and dash that you want in a in a first-line center. And uh, by all accounts, he's the real deal, AJ. Yeah, absolutely. I, I 
You know, I think he's going to take slightly more time to acclimate to the NHL game than a guy like Capo Caco. And uh, I think that's just the experience of playing, uh, you know, at the at the international uh, level there. Uh, You know, Caco uh, plays in the Finnish league, which is a little bit more uh, competitive than than what the the development team plays um, in international tournaments. It's a little more professional hockey there. But having said that, I think Hughes probably has the higher ceiling of the two overall. Uh, you know, that center position can't be overrated. I, I'm, I put this together. These two guys, in my opinion, uh, fall into the same category as Austin Matthews uh, and Patrick Line as kind of the one two there as well. You know, you've got Line who I felt, uh, uh, you know, maybe you disagree, Paul, seeing him uh, on night tonight, but I fought, felt when they first hit the NHL, Line was a little more ready to go day one. Um, but Matthews has turned into the better player uh, as he's adjusted overall and plays a better overall game. So, uh, and that's what I see from these two guys as well. Yeah, there was a clear distinction between uh, the top two picks and the rest of the first round. It seemed like that was the cutoff point. And it was really amplified by the fact that Kirby Dock was kind of a bit of a surprise pick at the number three by Chicago. But again, you think maybe they went for the size here, 6'4", 185. You know he's going to fill out and be one of those 6'4", 200-plus pounders. The position that he plays with is center, and he does it in the Western Hockey League where it's a physical league and a lot of high scoring going on there. And so he leaps to the head of the pack of about 10 guys in this next group that you could have cha- thrown the names in a hat and picked them all out. But the Hawks went with Kirby Dak, and if he develop- develops, they got a pretty nice one, two, three uh, in that lineup in the next couple of years, uh, assuming that Jonathan Taves uh, stays where he is at the high level that he's playing. And uh, Strom made a big gain in his his game last year. So the center position for Chicago looks pretty darn rich right now. And Kirby Dak, the next piece that will join them probably in a year or two. Yeah, I actually think they missed on this one. Um, And only because of who's available. This is not a knock on Dak at all. But I, I think the Kings hit the jackpot with Alex Turcotte dropping to them uh, at number five. I think this, this fear about, you know, nobody talked about Jack Hughes's height when it came to, you know, Hughes is the number one pick, number one pick. Nobody talks about the fact that he's only five ten. but with Alex Turcotte at five eleven, everybody was like, Oh, well, he's a small player. You know, is that going to see him drop? And, and it's just interesting to see that happen. And I think that's where Chicago missed on this one. Uh, Turcotte uh, is a local boy there. Uh, from the Chicago area. So I think uh, that, you know, that can't be overstated in terms of fan support on a guy like that. But uh, I I will tell you, Paul, uh, in these first 15 picks, I think the biggest winner here is Wisconsin Badgers hockey. You've got uh, Turcotte going fifth. You got Cole Caulfield going 15th. Both these guys are going to join the Badgers uh, just around the corner. And I think there's a ton of college guys that are getting uh, more and more coverage, you know, there's not just juniors anymore. In my opinion, it used to really be you had to play juniors or you had to play internationally. And that was where you went. You had a handful of NCAA guys coming out. Uh, and now it's it's all over the board. It's an equal mix. And more and more college players uh, are excelling and, and, you know, getting drafted. So uh, I'm excited from that standpoint, too. A little nod uh, to, you know, the Madison uh, local team here. Uh, and we'll see them playing uh, very, very soon. Well, I'm excited for you with those two prospects in tow. Uh, certainly Caulfield uh, is a guy, another one of these smallish guys that that uh, seems to have uh, found his niche uh, as a pure goal scorer 
the, there, he may not have an equal in the first round of this draft, and that might include Hughes, AJ. That's how prolific this guy was uh, in the in the last year that he played. But I want to tur- look look back at a couple of defensemen in the top six, and for different reasons, they caught my eye. Bowen Byron, he led the Western Hockey League in playoff scoring last year. That's very unusual for a defenseman, not named Bobby Orr, to lead anything in, in scoring over any period of time. So that caught my eye a little bit uh, in the West. Western League, and he's going to look good in that Colorado lineup before too long. You know, we have all kinds of great offensive pieces there, but they do need a, uh, another guy on the back end to help Tyson Berry, and Bowen Byron might be might be that guy that fits that offensive mold. The shocker for me in the first round was the pick by Steve Eisman, though, and that's Moritz Seider from the the German League of all places. Uh, and and six four one eighty five are his number. He's a right-handed defenseman. Those uh, that's a highly sought-after position, as as people around these parts know. With the Leafs' struggles to get somebody in that regard, so uh, I I always am interested to see which right-shot defensemen are coming through the ranks. And this guy was not the guy that I thought was going to be at the head of the class. And I, I think my opinion was shared by a number of people in the arena in Vancouver when he was drafted, AJ, because there was a collective gasp that went up. But Remember one thing, it's Steve Eiserman and the Detroit Red Wings, and they've pulled rabbits out of their hats many, many times over the last quarter century, so automatically, I got to think this guy's a possibility for, for a real good career in Detroit before too long. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I was shocked to see that pick. Um, there's any number of players uh, that I think uh, they could have gone there, even if they wanted to stick D. Um, but again, I, I totally echo your sentiments. Uh, you took the words almost exactly out of my mouth. You know, Stevie Y uh, has earned uh, the benefit of the doubt after everything he built uh, in Tampa there and and the team they have down there. I, I can't uh, I'm not going to knock the pick that much. Uh, it was surprising, but if Stevie Y says he's the guy, uh, then for now, I think we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. The next pick that jumped out at me was the tip pick by the home side that hosted this draft, AJ, and that's Vasily Podkolzin. I'll get the name right. And uh, he's going to be a name that people are going to not going to hear too much about over the next couple of years because he's got commitments across the pond. But I think Vancouver is playing the long game here, and they get a guy who's maybe, uh, in terms of overall skill, in the top five in this draft, uh, the guy is described as an absolute pit bull by by Cam Robinson and Dauber prospects, and that that is something that I echo. Having seen a few clips of this guy, he's he's got a lot of offensive skill, very quick. Uh, he he just seems to have all the, the all the attributes you want in a in a frontline player. Yet the issue was that he's committed to the Russian league for a couple of years and and so I think Vancouver is playing a patient game here and I wondered if other teams were scared away by that prospect and maybe this guy might make a longer commitment to the Russian league but Vancouver does have his NHL rights and they expect to get him over here within a couple of years. Yeah, I think the thing with, you know, Vancouver is, you know, you had Elias Pettersson have this breakout uh, season and suddenly it seemed uh, maybe in some circles that he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't 
or they weren't in a rebuild rather. Um, this team is still a rebuilding team. Now they have a phenomenal talent in him. They've got Edler locked in for another two years. Uh, they made the move to bring in JT Miller. We'll talk more about that. There's definitely pieces here, but this is still a rebuilding team. So I think they have the luxury of playing the long game here. Uh, and I think if they can convince him to come over uh, and make that transition after his uh, KHL commitments are up, I, I think they add a solid player uh, to, that can be maybe top six even uh, for them uh, in the long game. And uh, the next guy I want to talk about, AJ, is in the Florida pick, number 13 overall, Spencer Knight, the only goalie drafted in the first round. And by all accounts, this guy seems to be the next cornerstone goalie out there in terms of top prospects that uh, are draft eligible this year. And uh, he's getting drawing early comparisons to a guy like Carey Price. And boy, when you hear that name in comparison, it's got to turn a lot of heads. And particularly the fit in Florida seems like it makes a lot of sense with the the candle burning out on on, uh, the career of Roberto Luongo, it looks like. And then James Reimer is the only incumbent left. So they've got to find somebody to keep the seat warm for a night for a year or two. But I think before too long, you're going to see him in between the pipes in, in Florida. And it could be for a long while. Yeah, I, I still, you know, there's a reason that goalies don't go in the first round. Um, you know, trying to hit on a goalie is uh, much more difficult than almost any other position. Um, and so it, it still feels like a reach to me. But if any team was going to do it, I agree. Florida seems like the right move. Uh, it sounds like they're, uh, you know, they're still in the mix for Bobrovsky, but he's uh, by mo- no means a, a spring chicken there either. So he's. Um, you know, they do need some development. Reimer is definitely on the way out. I think he will be traded or bought out within the next couple of weeks here. Uh, and then it's whether or not Luongo wants to hang around and back up uh, a guy like Bobrovsky if they convince him uh, to sign there. So we'll see what happens. I think it's overall, it's probably good for Florida to build that development system. But it does still feel like a reach for me. Uh, If I'm being totally honest, I I think maybe they could have snagged him in the second round uh, and he probably would have still been available for exactly that same reason. They had the 52nd uh, overall pick and probably could have still gotten him there. AJ, let's talk a little bit more about Cole Caulfield. You probably know a little bit more about this guy than I do. He's listed at 5'7", 165 goes along with a number of the smurfs in montreal as i described them smallish players but uh, they've got a lot of scoring punch in that lineup and this guy is just the next piece there but looking back at the playoffs there were two gigantic teams there uh, big size on both both sides of of that final series montreal's doing trying to do it a little bit differently uh what's your take on on cole caulfield uh well for starters the the height thing really doesn't doesn't uh, bother me at all. And so um, from my standpoint, you know, if a guy can score, a guy can score and he'll figure out how to play, uh, you know, to his height, to his size and use his speed and athleticism to, to get around it. I do find it a little interesting that Montreal was the team to, to kind of buck the trend there. You know, it was just uh, a couple of years ago that they made a bunch of trades at the deadline uh, to, to get bigger and to get taller and now suddenly they're getting smaller and faster and so um it's it's a little strange from that standpoint but uh you know you look at caulfield's numbers all all the way through um you know in 
in high school, he's putting up, you know, 79 points. He put scored 50 goals two years ago uh, in high school. And, and now granted high school hockey in Wisconsin uh, is by no means comparable to that of Minnesota. Um, but as, uh, as a uh, assistant high school coach here for a local team, uh, I can tell you that 50 goals in high school is unheard of uh, here in Wisconsin. And so he just continued to tear it up, you know, with the development teams uh, all the way through hundred points with the U S national team uh, last season. And we'll get to see him against some better competition at, at, at UW. And so I think that'll be kind of a proving ground here. But for me, uh, I have personally seen enough that the height does not worry me at all. Uh, I think uh, there are, you know, 14 teams that are going to be disappointed uh, that they passed on him down the road. Well, uh, you know, the Devils and the Rangers probably aren't disappointed. So <laughs> maybe there's there's 13 teams uh, or whatever, 12 teams uh, that are going to be disappointed that they passed on him. Well, and uh, the emergence of a guy like a Brandon Carlo in the playoffs made me uh, is a comparable f- almost for a guy like a Thomas Harley that uh, was picked by the Dallas Stars here. A left-handed shot defenseman, local product here in the greater Toronto area in Mississauga. This guy is a strong puck-moving defenseman, a lot of good offensive upside. He's got the size going for him, too. I think that's a almost a total package kind of a blueprint for me in this this kid with his mobility and his size coming together so young you don't normally see that and so he's he's another guy that I want to keep an eye on going forward but I'm curious to see what your take is on the Pittsburgh Penguins pick here AJ give me a thumbnail on Samuel Poulin from your point of view so uh, here's the problem is I think Poulin can be a solid long-term developed guy I think he's going to be great to kind of fill the system. I think he'll spend a couple more years developing. Uh, You know, he'll probably uh, I'd have to double check his age. I don't know it offhand, but I I think he'll probably spend another year in juniors uh, if eligible. And then he'll spend a couple years developing uh, in the minors. And, And I think that's good for him. I think he'll be a great player. But the problem is that's not what the Penguins need right now. The Penguins need win now players. They they have uh, a window in which to to win, and this pick confounds me from that standpoint. Um, why use the twenty first pick? You know, trade it off, trade back. You know, whatever it is. Um, I just don't. It, it just didn't make sense to me um, for a long term development guy like this uh, because. That's not what this team needs. There's no chance, in my opinion, he's making the team out of training camp this year. And so we've now used a first round pick for something that's not going to help us win uh, in our current window. And so from that standpoint, it really uh, didn't make sense to me. I think he's he'll be a solid player. Uh, I would factor third line, maybe pushes for second. This is not a first line guy um, from what I've seen. And, and I just don't. I don't like it from where the team is right now. It's not a knock on the player at all. Um, just, you know, not what we needed. Uh, I'm going to throw a couple of names at you here that have links to uh, siblings that have been drafted previously. Nolan Foot for Tampa is uh, the second uh, son of Adam Foot, who has been drafted in recent years. 6'3", 190, played in the Western Hockey League. 
going into Tampa where his brother is in the minor league system as well. It's going to be interesting to see the growth of these two guys uh, and the tutelage they received from a uh, almost a Hall of Fame caliber defenseman in his own right, their father. I'm, going to, I'm curious to see where these guys go eventually, but Nolan Foote, guy that I'm going to keep an eye on. Ryan Suzuki, right behind him, drafted by Carolina. His brother is in the Montreal system, a highly regarded playmaking center, and that's the same profile that Suzuki has here. Played well for the Barry Colts in the Ameri- Ontario Hockey League. So that's a playmaking center. They need some of those guys in Carolina. Another final pick that I want to look at in this first round is John Beecher, a big, rangy centerman out of the U.S. development program that the Boston Bruins picked up. This guy has Bruin written all over him, and I could see him playing for the Bees for a long time and uh, and certainly, certainly uh, being the next wave of top centers uh, in, in their history. Yeah, absolutely agree kind of with your your take on all that. Uh, Suzuki was the player that I was maybe thinking uh, if the Penguins stuck around at 21 that they would uh, try and get. I think he uh, made a lot of sense. I think he's further along in his development uh, in terms of being uh, ready to you know transition to the pro game. Would he made the team this year? Maybe not. Um, but I think he had a better chance than, than Poulin um, from that standpoint. And I totally agree. Beecher uh, is, a, is a beast of a centerman that will absolutely, uh, you know, do wonders uh, for the Bruins. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll add something, um, you know, to a team that, that they're already kind of known for. And I think he'll make a perfect fit there. He's going to play for the University of Michigan this uh, upcoming season. So another uh, another Big Ten get. We're talking all Big Ten apparently <laughs> today, Paul. <laughs> well, you know what was the downside of that first round that I watched from beginning to end? There were no trades d- announced of any consequence during that draft. It's been a long time since it's been that quiet. So a pretty boring night of watching TV and following the picks as they were coming down. But there were a number of trades that, over the last few weeks since we last spoke, AJ, and I want to cover a few of them here with you before we go into our thumbnails on the salary cap situations of all the teams. So let's begin with a deal that went down on June the 4th, where Winnipeg traded the rights to Kevin Hayes uh, to over to Philadelphia for a fifth round pick in the 2019 draft. They turned into a uh, turned it into a guy whose name is Harrison Blaisdell. You wonder if that's the last time his name's going to be mentioned in any, <laughs> any hockey-related stuff. But Kevin Hayes picked up by the Flyers. They signed him immediately to a big-dollar contract. And uh, he, you know, we talked about a Boston-style center. This guy's a Philadelphia-style player with his size, and that's probably what attracted him to the brain trust over there. But uh, you didn't see too many of these trades where teams traded the rights to players in, a, in anticipation of not being able to sign them, at least getting something for them before free agency comes along. Yeah, I definitely thought it was interesting, uh, you know, as you mentioned, draft night and, and even this trade. And I think a lot of that had to do that we didn't find out what the salary cap was going to be in, until later. And so, um, you know, I think that has kind of stymied, uh, you know, moves and, and signings a little bit as, you know, GMs waited uh, to find out where they go. I think Kevin Hayes is a great fit for Philadelphia. I do think uh, this, uh, you know, kind of speaks to the development of Nolan Patrick that they felt they needed to bring in a second line center uh, instead of having Patrick in that spot. So I I definitely think it speaks to their concerns there. Uh, If I'm a Flyers fan, I love everything about this except that year to year price tag. It's a little (laughs) high uh, at 27 years old. Um, you know, it's fine for the next four years. I'm worried about years five and six and seven of that deal. I, I do think, uh, it, it could become a little bit of a concern down the road. Um, but 
at the end of the day, you have to do what's going to help you win right now, and I think Kevin Hayes can definitely do that for them. On June 14th, we saw division rivals of the Pittsburgh Penguins swap defensemen, and uh, interesting to me that the players that moved were profiled more more uh, succinctly and accurately with their f- former franchises. I'll explain what I mean in a second. When you realize that Matt Niskanen goes to Philadelphia for Radko Gudis, Radko Gudis is the tougher of the two. Philadelphia is noted for having a tough defense, tough lineup for that matter, but maybe they had too much of that and thought they could get rid of him a little bit and add, a, add more of a playmaking, stay-at-home uh, defenseman who has some ability to help on the special teams as well, Niskanen. I think, uh, I think Niskanen's the better side of this deal. Absolutely. I mean, I think what you're seeing here is a strictly cap related move. Washington hard up against it. uh, And they've got some guys that they wanted to resign. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into our breakdown there. But uh, they had to move somebody. And the fact that they could get uh, Niskanen off and at least get a player back. Uh, who can, you know, be a, a, a top six guy for them in, in Radko Gudis. Uh, you know, the Flyers are going to retain a little bit of that salary to help with that cap hit there. And they get an awesome player in Matt Niskanen. Um, he's, you know, yes, I think Radko Gudis is the more physical, but uh, Matt Niskanen does not shy away from contact either and adds a little bit more, uh, I think, uh, on that blue line. He's got a cannon of a shot. Uh, And so I I think, yes, they got the better end of the deal, but I don't think Washington really loses out um, because they needed uh, to get away from that that big cap hit. Then uh, some recent Stanley Cup champions got together on on the next deal on the 15th. Chicago trading Dominic Cahoon and a 2019 fifth round pick to Pittsburgh for Olimata. You know, you tipped me off uh, since we last were on the air that Olimata was likely going to be moved by the penguins and uh, i think they got a good good one in dominic Cahoon coming back for that for that uh, price tag yeah i love everything about this look mata uh, at times struggled to break into the lineup because there's a bit of a log jam uh, on the penguins back line you know and they've got some guys that they really like that they brought in recently uh you know they they've loved everything they've gotten out of marcus pedersen i know he's a a, a big concern that they want to get signed Eric Goodbranson, uh, for all the problems he had in Vancouver, has been a stud uh, blue liner for the Penguins in terms of, you know, defensive, uh, you know, posture and everything. Uh, And so the minute they re-signed Chad Ruedel, you knew somebody was going because uh, they already were, you know, too deep with without Ruedel coming back. And the fact that they got him uh, locked up as basically the seventh defenseman for them. Uh, so they needed to get rid of somebody. Mata had a big cap hit. His play has kind of dipped off in the last couple of years. And they get a fantastic uh, young development guy in, in Cahoon who's going to add some depth scoring to them and not cause a, a big hit this year. So uh, I, I actually hate this trade from Chicago's standpoint. I don't know what really they were thinking. I, I think Olimata uh, hasn't uh, performed well. Maybe a change of scenery will help them. But the last thing that that blue line in Chicago needs is another slow defenseman uh, who struggles to get up and down the ice. 
Well, that's quite an indictment of a guy, a guy who was highly regarded a few years ago, but you've seen him more than, than I have, so I'll take it on faith. But Chicago's defense has been a bit of a black hole behind their top two uh, veterans back over there. Uh, so they need to bolster that for sure. That was their motivation. The Rangers, on the 17th of June, they traded Neil Pionk and a first-round pick to Winnipeg for Jacob Truba. Listen, this guy's name was bandied about for a long time as as. Uh, a part that needed to be moved likely in, in Winnipeg uh, just because of salary cap concer- concerns and they better move them before they get nothing. And they did well in this t- t- deal, not only getting a first-round pick, but Neil Pionk is a guy who the Rangers used uh, on their power play. So I think you can expect him to have a similar profile in Winnipeg and uh, there's a little more cost certainty here, a little little more uh, eco- economical pick than uh, Truba, who I think is going to be a big dollar guy for a long while. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think both sides win this trade. This is one that I think everybody, um, you know, got what they wanted out of it. If I'm a Rangers fan, maybe I want to see a second round pick instead of a first round pick going to Winnipeg for it. But I, I don't hate uh, the trade from either side. Yes, you're going to have to pay Truba some big money, but they've got the cap space there in New York. Uh, and so they can get him locked up long term. I expect him to probably be somewhere above Mark Stahl, maybe not quite as high as Shattenkirk, although he's definitely better than Shattenkirk. So yeah. he could he could get more than that. Um, and the, the Jets get a solid defenseman in Pionk who's not going to break the bank for him. They'll they'll resign him, uh, you know, to significantly lower. Probably they'll probably pay Pionk less than half of what the Rangers end up paying Truba. And so from their standpoint, I think uh, it works out well for both sides. Then we come to a couple of other, uh, a trio of trades, really, the next three, where I don't want to group them all again. We'll take them one at a time. But they were all salary dumps, basically. And and you see what it costs to get that done, depending on the price point of the player. First of all, we have San Jose trading Justin Braun to Philadelphia for a second pick in this year's draft and a third next year. And they get rid of a veteran defenseman who was not a top-pairing guy that ate up a, a sizable chunk of their salary cap. And so uh, to shed that, uh, it cost him a second and a third, AJ. Yeah, I think, again, a, a win for both sides. I don't think, uh, you know, the Sharks really needed Braun, uh, especially with this cap hit long-term. They've got some youngsters in, in Radom Simic, uh, Joakim Ryan, even Jacob Middleton in there who um, are going to want, they're going to want to get those guys some opportunities. So they needed to kind of clear the way. Philadelphia gets a solid defensively minded guy in the back end and really it didn't cost them too much in terms of those picks and then we come to the maple leafs and uh, boy they've been they were in cap jail for most of uh, the year and uh, projected to be through the summer and unless they can move a patrick marlowe you found out what that would cost them 6.5 million dollar cap hit that uh, goes along with him to carolina along with a conditional first round pick in 2020 that's a lottery protected pick the expectation is the Leafs will not be in the lottery next year so (laughs) the the pick will be used by Carolina I sure hope that that turns out to be the case otherwise I'll be maligning the whole season and then it was a swap of later round picks to round out that deal I think a solid move by the Leafs and they reacted quickly by looks like they're getting close to signing a couple of the other restricted free agents here we'll get into that a little bit later I agree. It's a it's a good move. I, I'm a little surprised they were willing to give up the the first round pick there. Um, but as you said, it probably, hopefully, from their standpoint, will end up being. Well, I mean, hopefully, it's the 35th first pick, right? That's yeah. the hope, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even barring that, it'll it'll be 20 or higher. Uh, you have to imagine. And so, from that standpoint, 
yeah, probably not the worst thing to to get that. Essentially, what you're trading for is the ability to keep Kapanen uh, and uh, Marner. So I think yeah. that's a fair deal. But obviously, a, a first did feel a little bit high to me. Well, I, I'm going to try and live with it, I think. But uh, I, th- <laughs> I don't think it's the only one you're going to see uh, before too long in that regard. Uh, we can also look at the biggest trade probably uh, in the offseason so far, the biggest name to move is P.K. Subban going to New Jersey. The package that uh, that Nashville gets in return, a little underwhelming for me, A.J. They get uh, Steve Santini, Jeremy Davies, two defensemen who are in their system, uh, moving o- across to, to Nashville, and then uh, a second rounder in 2019 and a second rounder in 2020 for P.K. Subban. Yeah, I think it's a great pickup for New Jersey. Uh, I, you know, I tweeted this may be the most captain obvious uh, tweet of all time, but the Devils are a playoff team next year for sure. A healthy Taylor Hall. Yeah, uh, you add, uh, you know, you add Subban on the on the back line there. Um, and so the only concern for me uh, is obviously goaltending. But back to the trade, <laughs> I think the the. You know, Nashville has guys that need to get signed in, uh, on that blue line. And so they had to make some space here. You know, nine million dollars in terms of a cap hit is huge. Uh, and you've got Roman Yossi needs to get paid. Uh, you probably want to, you know, re-up Yannick Weber and Matt Irwin just to keep those guys around as well. Um, and so I, I think they had to do um, they had to make this decision, in my opinion, and shed that cap hit. They got something back instead of nothing, uh, you know, in, in that standpoint. But I think New Jersey overall wins this trade and adding a player of his caliber to that blue line. And you, we've talked about teams in a cap crunch. You can add Tampa to this list. And so I was rather surprised it was JT Miller that walked the plank over to Vancouver. But I think Tampa got a nice package for him. They got a, a, a goalie that they that has some NHL experience, Marek Mazanik, who will be in the battle for backup role in, in Tampa going forward. A third-round pick in 2019 and a conditional 2020 first-rounder. It's a lottery-protected pick, which could be deferred to 2021. So I think Tampa might really benefit from this tree trade in terms of the package they got but vancouver does get a pretty good player in miller who should be a lock to be a top six guy there among the forwards yeah absolutely and i actually really like i know he's bounced around a little bit the last couple of years but uh, i really like merrick mazanik uh it's a player i've seen uh with milwaukee a couple years ago uh the ahl team here Uh, and i really think he can be a solid uh you know net minder for them obviously uh they don't need a starter and that's not uh, that's not his game by by any stretch of the imagination. He's probably going to end up being a career backup. But this gives them some flexibility if they're not able to re-sign Domingue uh, after this season uh, and somebody to kind of keep around. So uh, I think it's a good move for them overall. And uh, we'll kind of see how it shakes out for him. And then, A.J., as recently as yesterday, there are a couple of trades that went down. Uh, I'll get your reaction to both of them in, in one uh comment if i could chicago trades anton forsberg and gustav forsling to carolina for for alexi sarala and uh, another player so what's your slant on that deal uh i th- i think it's probably a, an even uh, you know even swap there uh of guys you know kind of fringe guys on both teams uh and prospects that could use maybe a, a 
a different opportunity to get in the lineup. So uh, overall, I think not not a bad uh, deal for either side. And then Philadelphia trading Ryan Hartman to Dallas for Tyler Pidlick. Another one that tinkers around the edges, AJ. I don't think it's a shocker either way. So we'll uh, now slide into our salary cap and free agency news. And the way I want to do this, partner, is we'll take a look at the site cap friendly and break down each team in terms of the top salary commitments, and then we'll work our way down and basically touch on the UFAs, the RFAs on the rosters, and the whole salary cap situation. I'll kick it off with a look at the Vegas Golden Knights. Right now, we're seeing that uh, the projected cap hit is over the salary cap. They don't have any space now, so they got to move some players around and maybe move some out in terms of assets to make things work here, but they've got the rest of the summer to figure that out. And uh, one of the things that made it complicated was the signing of William Carlson. But you see that he went for only $5.9 million over the next several years. This guy really wanted to stay in Las Vegas and took the opportunity to uh, give them a kind of a team-friendly contract situation. This is a guy who's a year removed from a 43-goal season. So to get him locked up long-term for for less than $6 million a year, that's a tremendous get for them. And uh, But among the reserves who are still unsigned, Cody Eakin, Ryan Reeves, Eric Halla, among the forward ranks, even, you can even throw Brandon Peary in there. He made some headlines a couple of years ago. And uh, the defense looks pretty locked in, but with one exception, Derek Englund, a hometown favorite, still unsigned, and the backup goalie situation a little murky with uh, Malcolm Subban listed as an RFA. So they got some work to do over there in, in Vegas. Yeah, now I, I do think we should uh, point out they are still holding that David Clarkson uh, contract for this season. So they do have uh, LTIR can kind of come to the rescue on this uh, and give them about $5 million worth of relief. Um, and so I think they'll probably use that and, and they'll be all right there. Um, but uh, in terms of kind of overall uh, where they're going to go, I, I think you'll see um, – Maybe a, a move of, of some of these guys uh, to kind of give them some additional flexibility. But the Carlson deal is phenomenal for them. Uh, he was willing to take on that eight million dollar or that eight year uh, term uh, at a at a lower price. And I think it's a win for both sides. He gets the longest term you can get. Uh, under today's rules by sticking with uh, his team uh, and gets that extra, you know, that extra eighth year. Uh, you know, part of their cap problem, honestly, is that Marc-Andre Fleury's new deal kicks in this season, that that seven million uh, a year, three year contract. Not to say that he's not worth it. I definitely think he is. Um, but they were still uh, had him for closer to the five million, five and a half, I think, um, that he had signed before. So there's definitely some concerns here, but uh, overall, this is a solidly built roster. They got a steal in Willie Carlson at 5.9, and I think they're um, you know set to go. Looking at the next team down on our cap space list, you're talking uh, my boys, the Pittsburgh Penguins here. You saw the Olimata move to get him out uh, and, and out of there. I don't necessarily think they're done. Uh, you could see uh, them try and move uh, Jack Johnson. Uh, obviously, the talk has been, are they going to move, you know, Malkin? Are they going to move Latang? Will they trade Phil Kessel? I think at this point, I would be shocked uh, to see any of those guys go. Uh, it sounds like this was more message sending by, by saying that none of them are, uh, you know, locks uh, and basically 
to say to the team, hey, if you don't, if we don't shape up and we don't get better defensively, uh, the only guy who's assured of anything here is number 87. Uh, so get your uh, proverbial heads out of your behinds, as it were, <laughs> I think is the message here. Uh, in terms, you know, they've got a little bit of cap space, but nobody really huge that they need to re-up. Obviously, Marcus Pedersen, I think, is the number one guy that they need to re-sign the RFA there. At some point, they're going to have to re-up Matt Murray, his kind of bridge deal expires after this season um and then jared mccann dominic cahoon are also guys looking into the future so you could see them sign deals uh once you know free agency starts to kind of uh secure that long term but uh, i don't expect to see them do too much a couple minor deals here or there and marcus Pedersen being the key yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And I think maybe a defenseman that might be expendable if they can move him is also Eric Goodbranson. One of him or Johnson probably has to go to make this thing work. I don't see too many pieces on the offensive side that, that will be as helpful in terms of moving. Maybe Nick Bukestad uh, throwing a name out there. But uh, they could be in cap jail uh, for a while until they figure this out. Up next, a team that is surprisingly up here uh, high on this list is the Arizona Coyotes. They've taken on some big contracts in the past, and to your point, there are some LTIR considerations here with Marion Hosa's name still on the books for the next two years. But uh, this is a team that uh, is trying to do it a little bit differently. They, they have some players among the RFAs. Nick Cousins is a guy I think that they've got to look at. Logan Krause, another young prospect that fits the bill. Not yet proving themselves, but you don't want to jettison these guys without a full look at, uh, at their potential. Uh, Christian Dvorak is a name that I've heard that uh, is, is uh, being bandied about. He's got a friendly cap at a 4.45 million dollars and uh, from that London Knights factory, this is a guy that if I could get him off this team, I certainly would make an effort. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, again, this is a team, I, I don't see a lot of shakeup here. Uh, I think they're pretty happy with where they're at. You might see some moves, um, but overall, uh, the guys that they do have to resign, uh, you know, Richard Panic is what they want to do there. I think they let him walk and test the free agent market. Um, I don't think he's worked out quite to the level that they had hoped. Um, obviously, this team uh, may want to try and do something on that blue line. They've got Antti Ranta and Darcy Kemper, but they definitely liked Calvin Picard. Um, but he's going to be a, a free agent. So whether or not they can convince him to come back for kind of an uncertain spot, uh, would probably be a tough sell. So uh, you'll see some minor tinkering here. Uh, our next team up, Edmonton Oilers. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the big one that's been bandied about recently is what they do with Jesse Pugliarvi and whether they, how they re-sign him. Uh, also, Ty Ratty, Tobias Reeder, and Juju uh, Kahari. I would guess maybe they're probably won't uh issue a qualifying offer for kahar uh they'll let him maybe test test free agency uh blue line is pretty well locked up alex petrovich and kevin gravel are basically expendable uh the decision here is is what to do with the backup netminder do they try and re-sign anthony stolertz uh behind koskinen do they go out and try and find a starter uh, to supplant Koskinen. The concern there is obviously you're paying Miko 4.5 million to sit on the bench and watch the game. That's uh, a big uh, payday for a guy uh, not starting. So I, I think you're almost tied to having him start. I, I hate to throw that out there on a team 
that's got Connor McDavid. I think they need to get rid of Milan Lucic as quick as possible at $6 million for what he's producing right now. He's definitely not worth it, but whether somebody wants to take that or not is is a big question there. Well, and that's where you can see a deal like the Leafs made for, for Patrick Marlowe. I think that's the benchmark uh, in terms of what kind of compensation it might cost to move a guy like Alucic, but until they do, they're in a bit of a cap jail situation, and maybe the only other option is to move one of their defensive defensemen who's earning more than four million bucks here. And Larson or Chris Russell, AJ, those are my solutions to that mess that uh, is reeking in uh, in uh, Edmonton. And the next team on the list, we got the Washington Capitals, AJ, and uh, certainly they have the high end players that are eating up a lot of the cap. They still have to think about, do they want uh, serviceable pieces like Burakovsky, Devontae Smith-Pelly? I mean, there's not big dollars being required to get any of those guys in. Christian Jews on the defense is a guy I think they've got to look at, look, look at locking up. I think he has the potential to be a long-term top-four solution here. So that's a guy that's going to command some big dollars here. Uh, they've got a nice situation in the Nets for the next year, but they're going to have to re-upgrade and hope beyond that. He'll be 30 years old, uh, coming off a $6.1 million cap hit at the end of this deal, and you know that they have to make a, another commitment to him. So that's looming on the horizon in, in Washington. Well, yeah, and if if I'm them, I hate everything about that contract that Marc-Andre Fleury got. You know, $7 million as a 30-something goaltender. Braden Holpe is going to look at that and be like, hey, I'm only 30. I'm younger than he was when he signed that deal. Uh, pay me my money. Uh, and so I think they're going to be looking at maybe eight, nine mil a, a year for Braden Holpe yeah. uh, a, a year down the road. And uh, that that almost pushes him into the realm of being uh, their most expensive player. Let's not forget that Alexander Ovechkin signed his contract uh, before the eight-year limits. He's still got two years left on that 13-year deal he signed uh, back in the day. So they're getting him really for a steal. You look at the top end of the league right now, Connor McDavid making 12 and a half, I think, uh, and Ovechkin's only making like nine and a half uh, comparatively. So I think they're big uh, RFA actually is uh, Jakob Vrana trying to get him re-signed. Uh, it's not going to be necessarily cheap. They were able to get Carl Hagelin signed up by freeing up. They, you know, that's part of why they moved uh, Matt Niskanen. Carl Hagelin took a pretty significant discount. He was on a, I believe it was a $4 million deal. Uh, he's now at 2.75, but he, from his standpoint, gets uh, some extra term there. He's got four years now, uh, so they solved that issue there. We'll look at Montreal next. Uh, this is a team with about $10 million in, in cap room right now. And really, I think that puts them in a position uh, to be competing for, uh, you know, some free agents here. There's not a ton of guys of their own that they need to re-up. You've got uh, Charles Houdon, Arturi Lekkinen, Joel Armia, all going to be RFAs, Mike Riley. They've already uh, essentially given Jordy Ben his walking orders, so he's not going to be back. And, and that's it. The rest of his team is signed up. They may want to look at, uh, you know, giving Max Zome a longer term deal. He'll be an RFA after this season. So extend him now to kind of get that out of the way. But uh, based on that, that $10 million space and what they have left to do, I expect them to be uh, contenders here in, in some of the free agency. Yeah, I think they got to take a look, a hard look at their defense, though. Brett Kulak uh, is listed as their fourth highest expenditure 
Kyle Alsner has a terrible contract for what he gives this club. So it's really the top two guys that really carry the mail for them, and they're spending big bucks on Shea Weber and, and Jeff Petrie. I'd like to see them solidify their back end by making some shrewd acquisitions there. But I like their backup goalie situation, Charlie Lindgren, for seven hundred fifty grand. That's going to kind of offset well not really the price they paid for carry price <laughs> 10 i saw an extra digit there it's ten million five hundred thousand dollars kicking in that's one of the ones that kind of screws this franchise for a while going forward as good as carry price is and you can also put shea weber in that camp 7.8 million dollars for his declining skill set i know people still fear that big shot and so on but he's coming into his age 33 season and uh, he's been injury plagued for a while so they've got to rectify things on the back half of the team the forward ranks still look very solid to me uh, after the montreal canadians who's up next here we'll take a look and we'll see that it's the tampa lightning aj and we mentioned before that they have a bit of a, a cap jail situation jt miller moving out but they have Braden Point to sign, and that's going to be, for me, the most interesting of the RFA situations. People around here are talking about Mitch Marner. I think Braden Point's the better player, and I'm kind of curious to see the price point that this guy gets. When you consider Kucherov at $9.5 million, Stamkos at 8.5, this guy's got to be in that range for sure. I mean, they have the benefit of not having to pay taxes in that state, which kind of depresses the money, the taller figure. But I have to think this guy's going to be 9 or $10 million on a long-term deal of any sort that they're talking about. Beyond that, uh, they're looking to uh, the future and saying, well, Anton Strahlman's an unrestricted free agent. Dan Girardi, that's two top defensive defensemen that are going to be available, it seems, to other teams around the league because I don't think the the Lightning can can fit these guys in. Yeah, I mean, they, they will uh, use LTIR for Ryan Callahan. Um, unfortunately, he's going to have to call it a career due to um, a d- degenerative back issue. Um, and so that's that's unfortunate for them, but provides a little bit of, uh, you know, relief there for for the lightning in terms of cap. Um, I agree. I think uh, Braden Point is going to be the big one uh, that they have to figure out. And then obviously uh, they are going to be paying out some huge dollars next season for Andre Vasilevsky, who is making just three point five this year. Uh, I expect him. Uh, Carey Price's contract might not be a bad marker uh, for what Vasilevsky is looking for next season. So that's always going to be a factor, uh, for them in terms of long-term, uh, we'll take a look next at the Anaheim ducks. They've got about 11 million in space, uh, heading into the, the off season. Obviously, uh, the, the big news with them is buying out, uh, Corey Perry. Uh, I was definitely surprised to see that did not, um, it, it makes sense when you think about it based on his production level, uh, the fact that he had two years left on that deal, um, but they're going to get some relief this season. The, you know, kind of one question mark here, in my opinion, with that uh, is that next year his cap hit goes back up to about six point six million. That's a lot of money to be paying a guy to potentially pay play somewhere else, and so um, you know, so I, that is definitely kind of a factor here and is going to put them, I think, in a difficult position. Um, but they did shore up Ryan Miller to be their backup for another year. I think he's very capable in that spot. You've got, you know, two very viable goalies and John Gibson and Miller coming in at just seven point uh, five million. So they're in a good spot there. 
They don't have any other RFAs or, or UFAs to pay uh, this season. They do need to figure out, uh, you know, a defenseman, whether they call somebody up, um, you know, uh, a Jacob Larson, uh, a Josh Mahura, Patrick Seeloff, Andy Walensky uh, is maybe their one guy there from kind of a, a prospect standpoint to bring in. But uh, this is a team after doing that buyout that could be another player in, in free agency. Yeah, I'm I kind of surprised they went after Corey Perry instead of a guy like a Ryan Kelly. Kessler, to me, he's kind of more broken down even than Perry, and he's on the books for another three years. Um, so that's a concern for me. Ryan Getzlaff also, 34. they're both 34 years of age and both BC, uh, beset by injury issues over the last couple of years. So trouble in the middle of the ice for, for Anaheim probably needs to be addressed if they can uh, in maybe a trade. Uh, but they, where they were once deep in defensemen, uh, you, made, you made the point that you know they're looking to fill in now within the system here. So things have really changed in Anaheim, and they will continue because this team is top-heavy in some uh, kind of questionable defense deals that are out there up next the dallas stars this is a team that's kind of rebuilt on the fly for me aj and uh, their top end guys certainly they're getting the money's worth from sagan and ben they're not missing their radiloff also a pretty nice contract at a 6.2 uh, range there to round out their top unit jason spezza will not be back here finally uh, in his ufa year at age 36 i wonder if a team takes a flyer on him to be a third line center and he can find a new life somewhere else but uh, beyond that their biggest concern is what to do with Matt Zuccarello they're talking with him at 31 years of age this guy's got a lot of life left in him as a prolific scorer in this league so a guy that they've got to try and fit in offensively on the defensive side they've got a couple of pieces there they're going to probably have to sign Julius Honk as the guy that I think that rounds up their top six but that means what happens to Ben Lovejoy and Mark Mathot Mark Mathot's been hit with a lot of injuries too maybe he's not a guy that's going to be looked at but Lovejoy should be getting some looks in free agency I think as a bottom pairing guy that you probably are more familiar with than I am and they have the luxury of a backup in Anton Kudobin at 2.5 million dollars for another year they can afford that when you consider that Ben Bishop's on the books for the next four years at 4.9 million dollars a very affordable contract for a top uh, goalie in this league yeah absolutely and I think a lot of the question uh, for this blue line is is Steven Johns going to be able to play again uh, he missed the entire year uh, with the the post-traumatic uh, head um, injury there and so uh, whether or not they get him back and available I think sh- uh, will you know factor in on a lot of those decisions I would be surprised if Lovejoy or Mathad is back I, th- I think they're both gone for sure Taylor Fadoon is is the wild card there whether or not they bring him back I think depends on the health of, of Stefan John so we'll see from there uh, and, you know Jason Dickinson uh, and Brett Ritchie are two for, you know young forwards that I think they'll probably re-up at, at a pretty minimal cost um, so yeah as you said Matt Zuccarello is the key uh, here and the focal point. I don't expect to see them doing a lot of deals until they get him locked up. Uh, We'll go from there. We'll talk about the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, I mentioned the Ole Mata deal. Uh, They're now paying, uh, you know, Brent Seabook, 6.8, Duncan Keith, 5.5. Both of those guys over 34 years of age. You add in Ole Mata at 4 million. And that's a lot of money to be spending on guys who don't really skate that fast anymore these days. Um, you know, Mata's speed has never been a part of Mata's game. Uh, and so, it, you know, it's he's been able to make up for it in other areas. Uh, there's just so much money on this team spent on that blue line. Uh, David Kampf, uh, Brandon Perlini are their RFAs. 
uh, you know, on the goaltending, they got seven million spent right now for Corey Crawford and Colin, Colin Delia. Whether or not they want to bring Cam Ward back is is a question for them. Um, but right now, under contract, they've got seven forwards under contract, so they got some work to do there. Uh, there are definitely some guys, uh, you know, that they could bring up from the minors, or they could be factors in in the you know. Uh, free agency here. I think they've got some decisions there. Uh, Victor Edsel uh, is a player. Luke Johnson, they traded for John Quen- uh, Quenville. So there is a Quenville in uh, the Blackhawks organization right now. I don't think he has quite the, the same mustache uh, going for him, but um, they've got some young prospects they could call up to fill. Um, so I, I think there's uh, some work to be done there. Yeah, and I think uh, you, you didn't mention Brandon Perlini, a key RFA that needs to be signed here to solidify those front forward ranks. Maybe Marcus Kruger is another piece, but they've got to come up with some forward uh, depth there. Interesting for me, the defense has been made over quite significantly over the last calendar year i'll say calvin dehan and Ole mata new faces that should be uh, locked in as a uh, a solid uh, top four types to round out the top four here and and maybe the the fact that they now have connor murphy and eric gustafson slater cuckoo all vying for a third pairing kind of makes this thing look a lot better than it did a year ago aj so where they they had holes on the blue line i think they plugged them but they did plug them with an expensive couple of contracts in mata and dehan that makes it kind of difficult for them to lock up some top-tier talent to help the forward ranks. Uh, I think they're really fortunate that uh, the young center, Strom, uh, took a big step last year, and Perlini did as well. It'll be interesting to see what he signs for. It could be a a blueprint for what they will pay Strom next year when his entry-level contract goes by the boards. Uh, Up next, we're going to take a look at the next team on the list, and uh, it is... Where are we here? The Boston Bruins. And uh, the Boston Bruins went to the finals this year. The core of this team getting a year older. And I'm looking at that, AJ, seeing David Krejci, Patrice Bergeron. David Krejci, for me, was almost missing in action in the playoffs this year. And so he's got two years left at 7.25. I wonder if what we saw there is the tip of the iceberg in terms of a potential decline there. Patrice Bergeron, I don't foresee the same thing with him. I think once healthy, he's going to resume his status as a top center in this league. Beyond that, Pasternak has got a really nice contract. Brad Marchand, certainly a great contract there. So they did well in terms of their core up front. Charlie Coyle was a fine addition and looks to me to be a steal at $3.2 million at 27 years of age in his last year before going UFA. I think people will keep an eye on him to see what he does this year if he continues what he did in the playoffs. Then they've got some youngsters like Danton Heinen needs a new contract. Marcus Johansson, a pending UFA at 28 years of age. So there's got some high-end guys out there. But on defense, the big names that uh, will get a bigger dollars are Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. Both of them were outstanding in these playoffs, and they're going to get a raise, a significant one. Uh, but uh, the defense, they haven't spent a lot of money on the defense beyond Tory Krug at $5.25 million. The next guy is, is $2.75. I'm going to suggest to you that McAvoy and Carlo both go above that figure in their new deals. Yeah, absolutely. I think both of them will be uh, probably, you know, Carlo maybe in the three to four and and then McAvoy probably pushing five uh, there as well. Uh, It'll be interesting to see, you know, you look at their their D uh, core here. They've got seven guys signed after uh, re-upping Stephen Camper uh, to a two year deal. And so uh, you add in Carlo and McAvoy, you're looking at nine defensemen under contract. 
Um, you know, Connor Clifton will go down. So then you're sitting at eight. So you almost wonder if they're willing to uh, maybe look at moving somebody here. Uh, I think they could get uh, a pretty decent return on a, a Matt Krizelich. I don't know that they want to move a player like that. Uh, and so I, I could see them maybe being players in the trade market here just because of the number of defensemen uh, that they have uh, on that back line once they get uh, McAvoy and Carlo uh, bought in. So we'll, uh, I'll just, with that, I'll move on to the Detroit Red Wings. You're looking at $12 million uh, of cap space. That's plenty enough money for Steve Yeiserman to make some moves here. Uh, the big question mark, uh, you know, for me is defense. Uh, does Nicholas Cronwell come back? Do you want him back at 38 years of age? That's a big question mark. Is Mike Green able to play? Uh, you've got that illness that he's been dealing with. You know, is he even an option? Uh, Trevor Daly has not lived up to his uh, his cap hit there. So there's some huge question marks uh, on this blue line. Obviously, they've got some some youngsters that will factor in. Uh, Dennis Cholisky, uh, Philip Hronick, uh, even Dylan McIrath, I think, are all uh, guys that could call up and, and make some moves here. There's not a ton of work that needs to be done. I think from my standpoint, I think you walk away from Thomas Vanek, uh, let him go. Uh, you've got Howard and Bernier both locked in. Uh, you're looking to the future. Obviously, Mantha and Athanasiu uh, need to get paid a, a year out from now. Tyler Bertuzzi in that in that camp as well. But uh, from the here and now for today, uh, the blue line has some question marks, um, but it's nothing that, that they're going to fix uh, immediately just by signing. Yeah, I think in a year they'll have some more flexibility there when Erickson and Daly's contracts come off the books and Mike Green as well. They're, they're going to have to do a complete makeover of this blue line. That'll be job one. The golden situation, Jimmy Howard remains a placeholder for another year at $4 million. Jonathan Bernier, $3 million for the next two. Keep, keep the veterans there and uh, give the defense a chance to to survive with the benefit of these veteran hands behind them but uh, that'll be the focus i love what they've done up front though they've got a good uh, group of young forwards they're going to hit the pay window soon though you touched on the fact that a year out from now manta athanasiu bertuzzi de la rose and evgeny Svechnikov, they're all going to be needing new contracts as pending rfas so it's going to be a, a lot of contract talk in detroit before things hit, straighten around there in calgary this is a team where uh, Matthew Tuchuk is the name that, that everybody's looking at. Another guy that's going to hit the pay window hard. Coming off a great uh, early start to his career. He's only 21 years old and uh, will be 22 soon. But uh, pending RFA, that should be another guy that's going to see big dollars thrown his way. Andrew Mangiapane is a guy who whose profile was elevated with a strong performance in parts of the season last year. Big rangy guy with some speed uh, in the mold of a lot of other Calgary types there. So I think they'll want to make an effort to sign him as well. Beyond that, Sam Bennett is another guy that they have to look at. So some high-end, uh, a couple of high-enders on the on the forward ranks on the blue line. Oliver Killington is a guy that I think was uh, a former top round pick and really not reaching his potential yet but i don't think they're anywhere close to giving up on him he's going to be an rfa a year from now and and a guy that figures to be part of the top four over in calgary for a long while so on the horizon there's that contract in the nets that's where they have some issues folks where they have only got john gillies signed he was a bit player a role player last year they've got to figure out what they want to do with riddich and do they resign mike smith at age 37 aj i know you love this guy <laughs> yeah i mean 
I think he could be serviceable as a backup behind Riddich, um, provide that veteran leadership for, for a young player like that. Uh, and so I, I do think uh, it wouldn't be the worst thing, depending on what kind of contract they're going to have to to pay out Mike Smith. Hopefully uh, for them, it's it's not too big of a deal. This is a team that's only got about 13 million cap. And I would guess at least a third of that is going to Matthew to Chuck, uh, probably a little bit higher than a third. Sam Bennett is uh, definitely a player warranting some some uh, some dollars here as well. You touched on a couple others. I think that Neil, James Neal, 5.75 million uh, is going to haunt them when they start uh, crunching the numbers here in a little bit. Uh, another team that has been crunching the numbers and uh, made some space for that is the Nashville Predators. We touched on the fact that uh, they're a year out from having to pay Roman Yossi. And so they shed uh, that big, big Subban uh, contract there. For this season, the defense is pretty well locked up. Everybody's under contract for reasonable amounts. Uh, they're paying a total of, of just under $19 million for eight defensemen here. Uh, and so you won't see a whole lot of change there for this year. Up front, it's a little bit of a different story. Um, you know, it sounds like Wayne Simmons is not going to be back. Zach Ronaldo as well. Uh, I think your big question is, is whether or not they want to bring Brian Boyle back for another year. Uh, he's getting a, to use your phrase, Paul, he's getting a little long in the tooth there. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of the question mark outside of that though. This is a team that's locked up pretty well. Uh, Johansson's got six years left Forsberg three, Kyle Turris five, um, you know, so they're, they're pretty solid in, in that standpoint, uh, from that standpoint. So, uh, not a lot of change here. I, I see coming, uh, maybe they go out and get a, a free agent or two with that, you know, 13 mil, they, they could definitely do some spending. Yeah. I'd like to see them take a big swing at a forward here, AJ. This is a team that's been known much for their defense. And you look at even the defensive depth with the departure of PK Subban, they got a whole host of guys waiting in the wings, Matt Irvin and Dante Frabro. Uh, Yannick Weber will be vying for some more ice time here now that uh, Subban has left the, the fold. But they can take a big swing with the cap space that they have. Over $13 million left. They really only need to sign two more players to round out their roster of 23. So I think they could even spend eight or nine on one guy if they really wanted to. And I might like to see that because it's been a pretty no-name offense for the most part with a couple of exceptions, obviously. The Los Angeles Kings, another team that's in rebuild mode. And uh, certainly they've got the likes of Brendan Leipzig and Alex Leofalo who are RFAs, they're not going to break the bank here. Adrian Kempe is another guy you can throw into the mix, but they've got some big money committed up top with Kopitar and Kovalchuk eating up over $16 million there. Dustin Brown, another guy who's aging, Jeff Carter. So their high end of their roster is getting a little older as well, and, and they, they won't really turn the corner until they find a way to augment that group with some young talent or maybe go into free agency and spend some dough there. Drew Doughty hits the books for $11 million starting this year. Uh, he f- basically has foregone the chance of winning a cup the rest of his career, AJ, for the, <laughs> for the sunshine in California. But he's done what he's done, and uh, if he doesn't do anything else, this guy's a Hall of Famer in the making, in my, my estimation. So let him ride off into the sunset for that big ticket, but it's going to limit this team uh, a little bit in, in terms of what they can do uh, with the salaries that they have on board. Yeah, I mean, they did uh, get a little bit of relief. Finally, the Dion Phaneuf contract was bought out. <laughs> this thing has been under buyout speculation, I, I think, probably since uh, the Maple Leafs signed him. Uh, so, uh, you know, a long, 
uh, a long uh, time that that contract has kind of lingered as a as an albatross for a number of clubs. You know, the Maple Leafs signed him seven years, forty nine million uh, in in twenty thirteen. Uh, that became uh you know ottawa's problem for a while and then it became la's problem uh and it's going to be la's problem for another four years in total uh after doing the buyout there but they'll get some immediate relief from that uh as you said there's not a ton of guys on the current roster uh that need huge paychecks so they do have a little bit of money to spend uh, they definitely need, I think, to buy a, a defenseman or two uh, to add to that blue line. I don't know that they have anybody in the system, maybe Daniel uh, Daniel Brinkley, but nobody that's going to be a real huge factor there. Um, so they got some decisions to make there and, and some purchases to make this summer. Uh, another team with some big purchases to make this summer is the Toronto Maple Leafs. For them, though, it's going to be all in-house. I expect that the Maple Leafs will be a no-show in the overall free agent pool there as their uh, current uh, $13.5 million in cap is going to go to the likes of Andreas Johnson, Kasperi Kapanen, and some other guy, Mar- 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 Marner. Oh, yes, uh, <laughs> Miss Marner is going to get paid as well. Now, they do uh, have a couple uh, D guys that, that they'll need to bring up. I don't expect that they're going to re-sign Ron Hainsey, Martin Maris, uh, Marison, maybe. Uh, I know Paul loves and is really hoping that Jake Gardner gets re-signed, <laughs> but I just don't see that happening for you, buddy. Uh, and obviously they do have a little bit of room. They've got one more year of Nathan Horton uh, on LTIR, so that gives them another 5.3. And as I always like to bring up, thank you for paying Phil Kessel $1.2 million a year for the next three years. <laughs> I had to have this rotation set up. You do you doing the Leafs. That's awesome. Well, uh, there is some doubt about your uh, lack of interest in Ron Hainsey. I think the Leafs might circle back and see if they can squeeze one more year out of the veteran. He was playing top six minutes, top pairing minutes for much of the year at 37 years of age. I think they can drop him down to third pairing at 38 and see if they can get one more year out of him. That precious right wing, right defense commodity in a short order here. And so that might help. They've also got uh, Nikita Zaitsev on the books for the next five years, but he's made it very widely known that he doesn't want to come back to Toronto. So I could see the Leafs making a deal with him to another club, but they need to get a similar commodity back. And that's where I'm interested to see what they might pull off in terms of getting another defenseman in-house who who might, you know, it needs to be a marginal win uh, in in terms of that trade-off. But uh, certainly moving the Marlowe contract and having the Nathan Horton five thousand three hundred dollars on ltir gives this team all the flexibility it needs to to get the thing done in-house and next year you're going to see uh, a few youngsters vying for an opportunity one of them might be Ilya mikhaev who they signed on a on a one-year deal at nine hundred twenty-five thousand dollars out of the russian league and he's going to get a chance to play among the top nine forwards i'll say up front so uh beyond that they have some help on the blue line with rasmus sandin and timothy lilligren two highly regarded prospects who are 19 and 20 years of age respectively i think they'd like to see them in the minors for one more year but i think by the end of next season you'll see at least one of them in the lineup on a regular basis and uh, after the Leafs go, uh, we go to San Jose. 
And look, at we mentioned Matthew uh, Marlowe's uh, deal on off the top. I think there's going to be a, a victory lap for him in his future in San Jose. But they have a lot of room in terms of the salary cap right now. They have $14 million. They have to sign about seven or eight players. They're going to get Marlowe for a song here to do that victory lap. And when you look at the high end of the roster here, you notice that the name of Joe Pavelski is missing too. So you wonder how what they're, what's going to happen with him. But beyond that, uh, they're looking at youngsters like Kevin LeBanc and Jonas Donskoy. These guys made a, enough of an impression on me to think that they're going to factor into the top nine. Gustav Nyquist, another guy, Timo Meyer. So they got some work to do. And you wonder if Joe Thornton gets that chance for the victory lap. So a lot of news will be coming down the pipe among the forward ranks. The blue line is a year out from being a real problem for them because D- Brendan Dillon, Jacob Middleton, and Radim Simek are three of their signed players, but they're going to be unsigned at the end of the season. The only holdovers are Carlson, Burns, and Vlasic. Carlson, of course, getting $11.5 million on a long-term deal here. Uh, they're going to have some cap issues here before too long, I think, A.J., yeah, absolutely. And now we have not really seen uh, any signs of a decline from Brent Burns uh, at this point. Um, but this is a guy who's 34 years of age already and has six years left at eight million dollars a hit. Uh, you know, even father time seems to have caught up with Yarmir Yager. Uh, and that was something that we didn't really expect. And so eventually Brett Burns is not going to be worth eight million dollars a year and and that is going to become a pretty bad contract i think for them down the road um and if i'm a sharks fan i am honestly sitting there going oh god not again as you saw marlo walk uh with two solid years left um and they they you know they let him walk and i think you're worried about the same thing happening with joe pavelski I would definitely be concerned. Uh, It sounds like he's going to start meeting with teams. San Jose is in the mix. Um, And I would be shocked uh, if they didn't have uh, the odds on favorite to bring him back. Um, But it's certainly uh, I'm I'm concerned if I'm a uh, San Jose Sharks fan about that one. That's for sure. Uh, We'll go take a look at the Philadelphia Flyers, who have been very active uh, on the trade wires uh, up to this point. You know, we mentioned, uh, you know, they brought in Kevin Hayes and re-signed him. They got uh, Matt, Matty Niskanen in as well. They brought in uh, Tyler Pitlick uh, via trade as well. So very active from that standpoint. And I don't think they're done wheeling and dealing with $17 million available in space. Travis Konechny, really the only uh, kind of big name that they need to re-up. Uh, this is a team that's looking uh, like they're going to go into the season right now uh, with uh, right now they've got 1.4 million tied up in their net minders. Carter Hart <laughs> is on his entry level deal, uh, making just 730,000. They'll obviously sign. I, th- I would expect they'll sign one of Michael Newverth, Cam Talbot or Brian Elliott to probably a minimal, you know, maybe three, maybe four at the absolute high end million dollar contract. Um, so they're not going to be spending a lot on the back end. Uh, Matt Niskanen comes in as their most expensive player right now at 5.7 on that blue line. Shane Gossett's locked up long term. So I definitely see them being a factor for a number of big name players, given how much space that they have. And, and really, like I said, Travis Konechny, the only RFA that really jumps off the page as needing to be signed uh, and needing some money. They'll probably give Scott Lawton and Justin Bailey and Ivan Provorov uh, deals, but even Provorov, I don't think it's going to garner a huge contract uh, from them. Well, I got to say, I don't like the Kevin Hayes deal, AJ. That's too much money for him, what, what he brings to the table. And I think they're going to 
you're going to pair that with James Van Riemsdyk before that deal is done at $7 million a year. Those are two deals that are combined $14 million plus that are going to hamstring this uh, this franchise for a while, even though they have the cap space that you're talking about right now. They've made a couple of bad signings in those two situations, in my estimation. Uh, St. Louis Blues, this is a team that's coming off the Stanley Cup win, so they're probably not too concerned about their salary cap. They can live off the, the fumes <laughs> of this for a while, but Patrick Maroon, as the hometown guy, you got to think he's going to give them a break in terms of re-signing at age 31. Even Barbashev, uh, ready for a breakout. Bobby Fabry, another guy that they're pinning their hopes on. Those guys are on the sidelines right now waiting for new deals. So is Oscar Sundquist. Sammy Blay had a nice playoff too. So four names among the forward ranks that they might look at, uh, need to look at in terms of putting them back in. They got $17 million to get it done, and they've got to sign seven more players on the blue line. I really like this defense, AJ. There's not much of the work that they need to do. Carl Gunnarsson, for me, is a guy that needs to be paid, though, for what he did for them. Really good playoff run. Uh, they have six other guys signed here, so really they can do without Michael Del Sato, in my estimation. Joel Edmondson might be a guy for depth reasons that they sign up. The question mark for me is, what do you pay a guy like a Jordan Bennington coming off a Stanley Cup run? And uh, Jake Allen, can you keep a a backup at $4.35 million? I say no, so it's a good thing they got Jared Coro in reserve, but he's going to need a new deal too. So the biggest news here is in the Nets. Well, I've I've got a perfect marker for you on a similar situation. Uh, Matt Murray... uh, Got three years, $11.25 million. Now, you adjust a little bit for, for a couple of years. Uh, you know, contracts go up. That's just how it works. So I wouldn't be surprised to see something in the nature of three to four years. And I would guess the cap hit will be a little bit higher than Murray's, maybe 4.5. Uh, maybe he goes just above Jake Allen, uh, which 4.5 would, 4.75. I think that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a bridge deal. Uh, for relatively you know limited term so that they uh, would retain him as an RFA after that contract uh, but they give him a pay bump so that's kind of what I'm seeing uh, I'm anticipating for them and I agree all of these RFAs uh, probably should be re-signed with maybe the exception of Robbie Fabry I think injuries have just derailed him too much but I think they'd want Ivan Barbashev, Zachary Sanford, Oscar Samuels, Samuel Blase all back. Joel Edmondson, obviously, on the blue line. I think if they can get Carl Gunnarsson to re-up, uh, Michael Delzato is going to be the odd man out. I don't see him getting another contract. Uh, and I agree. Uh, if they can move Jake Allen, I think they're set there with Jared Corio uh, being the backup. So we'll look uh, from there at the New York Rangers. Uh, this is a team, uh, again, in a bit of transition uh, you know, you talk about 17.5 million available for cap space for them. A good chunk of that going to go to this uh, these three RFAs on the blue line. Jack- Jakob Truba, we talked about him getting a big deal. I think Frederick Clayson and Anthony D'Angelo will also uh, get contract from them, probably closer in the two to three million range apiece. Uh, and then on the front end. Pavel uh, Buchnevich, I think, is one that they'll give a deal to, and they'll probably work something out with Brendan Lemieux that doesn't break the bank as well. Um, But from there on out, you know, there's not a lot of money tied up on this team in terms of big contracts. You know, their top guys, uh, Mika Zabinijad, is only at 5.35. You've got Kevin Shattenkirk, who I wouldn't even say is their best defenseman anymore. Uh, He's at 6.65. 
Uh, and Lundqvist really, in t- in, you know, in a world where goalies are making more and more every year, having Henrik Lundqvist uh, for two more seasons at 8.5 million is kind of turning into a, a bit of a steal when you talk about a guy making $2 million less than Carey Price and on uh, basically that same, you know, productive level. So, um, again, another team that could be a factor in free agency once they figure out exactly how much uh, of that, uh, you know, dollar amount uh, Jacob Truba is going to uh, eat up. Yeah, you've made the point of the guys that they need to sign. I think they blew it on Shattenkirk and Stahl, though. The top two guys on their defensive uh, list, uh, I think they've overpaid for both of them. You can't have mistakes like that on your roster. Happily for them, they'll be shedding them within the next two seasons, if not sooner, by trade. But And, son, and you can add Lundqvist to the to that list but they've done a quite a job in terms of really good makeover here uh, that uh, didn't take as long as I thought it would to have a representative team they're going to threaten for a playoff next year I think uh, the next team up is the Vancouver Canucks they made a big splash in uh, in terms of the draft with a very nice presentation there you're getting JT Miller into the mix as a guy that fits into their top six uh, on that on a nice on ice development uh, in terms of spare parts that need to be signed, Josh Levo, Nikolai Goldobin, Marcus Grandland, there's three guys, on the, and Brock Besser, probably the biggest name of all among the forwards that need to be re-signed. They've got ample room to get it done, $17 million. Besser's going to probably eat up most of that, though, AJ. It's a year out from now that I'm, I'm thinking they're going to really be in a bit of a situation because of the blue line. They've already said they're not going to re-sign Ben Hutton. The guy's 26 years old and uh, has some upside here. I think he'll be highly sought after uh, as a new UFA. Derek Pouliot, Josh Tevis, Luke Shen, Brian Rogan Rafferty, there's nothing there that interests me beyond Ben Hutton, and I'm surprised they kind of turned their back on him. But they've got a whole host of other guys that they're counting on. Quinn Hughes had a bit of a cup of coffee there. They're looking for big things from him on an entry-level deal. But... uh, I, I think in the Nets, too, they're looking good with J- Jacob Markstrom at $3 million six for this season. They're going to look at a year from now and, and say, what do we pay this guy? Uh, they're going to need to repay him uh, as their number one goalie going forward. So there there is some movement afoot in Vancouver, but I'm mostly surprised. I want your comment on the Ben Hutton situation, first of all. Uh, so I am a little surprised that they would bail on on a guy like that so quickly. Um, but to your point, I think they need to make a space essentially to put Quinn Hughes in the lineup. I don't think there's any way to get around that. Um, so you're already looking at Hughes, Stetcher, Tanev, and Edler as your top four. Um, you know, I don't know what Hutton's looking for in terms of of cost, but uh, maybe he has kind of priced himself out in terms of being a fifth or sixth defenseman, and they figure they can get uh, equal production out of that. Uh, for you know minimal cost out of Biego, uh, Biega, Biega, and uh, Sutner or some combination of those three so while it's uh, a little bit intriguing I, I don't think I'm shocked that that's the direction they're going like I said just because they need to get Quinn Hughes into the lineup uh, and they're looking at you know long term uh, here as well you got Brock Besser needs to get paid this year you mentioned a couple other guys uh, looking into the future, they've got just one year left of Jake Vertanen on his current deal. They're two years away from having to sign Elias Pettersson. And as things are going right now, that's going to be a huge contract that they're going to have to fork over some money to. Uh, so I think it's just, you know, kind of long term planning, really. And, and Hutton, unfortunately, uh, is just the odd man out there. We'll look next uh, at the Buffalo Sabres. 
they signed uh, or re-signed Jeff Skinner to the huge eight-year, $9 million annual uh, contract there. Uh, so big, big bucks for him. Uh, fortunately for them, you know, I think they uh, got a decent deal here, honestly, for what they're paying him. He doesn't uh, immediately become their highest paid player. He's still making a mil year less uh, than Jack Eichel. Uh, in terms of, you know, kind of concerns here on who to re-sign, they've got to figure out a backup netminder, although some would argue they need to figure out a starting netminder over Carter Hutton. <laughs> but uh, Linus Olmark uh, is going to be an RFA. I imagine they'll re-up him. Jake McCabe on the blue line is another guy that I think needs to get paid. And then you've got... Uh, some kind of role players, uh, Zimis Grigerson, Johan Larson, Evan Rodriguez, all going to be RFAs. I'd be shocked to see Jason Pominville re-up with the team. Uh, I think they'll walk away from him. So uh, based on kind of those decisions, uh, you're looking at a team that's probably can continue to be a factor at $9 million, or $19 million rather in, in cap space here. Uh, they signed Skinner for nine, and, and they've got plenty more to go if they want to keep paying some guys here. Yeah, I like what they've done on the defense, but they're going to really be in trouble a year out. Uh, they, they've got a very nice-looking salary structure on the blue line this year, but next year they're only going to have Rasmus Dahlin and Rist- Rasmus Ristolainen on the roster here uh, signed. So that's going to be something of a long-term planning situation that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I, I'm not thrilled with the $9 million of Jeff Skinner, to be honest with you, AJ. I'll disagree with you on that point. 27 years old, making $9 million for the next seven years. I think at some point they're going to be upset about that. But uh, short term, certainly the guy needed to be paid, and we'll see if the return is good there. Kyle Ocposo is kind of my marker, to use your term, about how things can go awry. There's no way this guy's worth $6 million a year with the lack of product production they're getting out of him. I think a couple of years from now they'll be talking the same way about Jeff Skinner. And that might be considered a hot take by you. I'm not sure, but uh, I'll stick with it. Minnesota Wild up next. This is a team that, uh, it's funny. I I look at them almost as a no-name team, but then you look and you're reminding yourself that they do have Zach Parise and Ryan Sutter, two of the best players at their positions when they're healthy. It's just that they're having trouble staying healthy when you're talking about Parise uh, and Koivu coming off injuries, uh, it seems, again this year. Victor Rask, a real letdown and a mistake at $4 million a year. I want to point out these mistakes because you can't afford to make them, as I keep saying. And uh, Joel Eriksson-Eck coming off our entry level is is, uh, probably the only guy among the RFAs. Uh, Kevin Fiala coming off injury concerns might be a lesser lesser issue, but uh, they might want to try and retain him. Anthony Biteto is a guy that might round up a very solid defense core. They're locked up in goal very nicely with Devin Dubnik and Alex Stalock, though. Yeah, and you've got a couple of guys, you know, that are on ELCs that that got sent down at the end of the year that'll factor in. Jordan Greenway, Luke Coonan will will be starters for them, I I have to imagine, this season. So they'll round out uh, that roster with, you know, some of those guys. They do have Ryan Donato, um, who they may want to try and uh, re-up as an RFA defensively. Uh, as you said, they're they're pretty well set. It'll be interesting to see what they do with your favorite player, Pointless Aberg. I'm sorry, Pontus Aberg. Um, so just to steal your thunder there. But uh, yeah, he'll be an RFA, so a decision there. And then uh, we go from there to the Florida Panthers. Uh, $20 million in cap space that uh, since last year is already going to Antemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky <laughs> <laughs> as far as everybody's concerned. So we'll see what happens with them. 
you know, in, in terms of guys in-house, I have to imagine they'll re-sign Mackenzie Weger and Ian McCashin just to kind of round out a blue line that's anchored by Ekblad and Yandel. Those guys are locked up uh, for at least the next four years. Uh, you know, combined, Mike Matheson uh, is on a seven years uh, left, so he's locked in long term. So not a lot of change that needs to happen there. I think, as I kind of alluded at the top, what happens with James Reimer, trade uh, or buyout, I think, is uh, a guarantee here, uh, regardless of whether or not uh, they do get Bobrovsky to, to put pen to paper. Uh, and we'll see how that lands. You know, you look at the top of their forward combos, you've got Huberto and Barkov both making 5.9. Uh, so that's, you know, affords them plenty of opportunity. They've got Mike Hoffman in for another year at 5.1. Again, that's a bit of a steal at this point. Uh, they're only RFA in the forward comp- complement, Dennis Malgan. He's not going to garner a ton of money there. I would imagine they'll try and work something out with Troy Brower. Uh, Riley Shaham, maybe not. I think they'll let him walk. Jamie McGinn, injury concerns have been a problem there, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them let him walk as well. Yeah, they're going to make a big splash among the forwards. They've only got eight of them signed, so I think Panarin is a lock to wind up in the Florida colors. But I'm curious to see how the, the goaltending situation shakes down. You didn't make, mention Roberto, Roberto Longo. He's got three years left. He's 40 years of age. The cap hit $4.53 million. I think if he walks, there's a couple other teams that will pay a penalty, A.J., Vancouver among them, uh, because of the, the extent of the contract and the fact that if he gets, uh, he, he goes out of the lineup, the, it's going to have repercussions for another team, which is almost unprecedented in the history of the NHL. So curious to see how that situation plays out. Up next, then, we're going to go from Florida to New York Islanders. And all summer long, people were telling me, oh, the Islanders are going to be the ones that go after Mitch Marner and this and that. I don't think Lou Lamorello is going to be the first guy that throws out an RFA, a UFA, uh, sorry, uh, a contract offer to one of these RFA guys, AJ. He's, he's kind of the uh, favorite GM of the NHL head offices and a cl- close friend of and confidant of, of Gary Bettman. I don't think he's going to be the guy that rocks this boat first. So I'm curi- curious to see. They've got a full complement up front as well, and they have to sign the likes of Anders Lee and Anthony Beauvillier. So really, is there room for to add another forward? Sure, a, qual- a quality guy like Marner, if they can get him an affordable deal. But anything that's affordable, Leafs will match. So I think that's a lot of smoke being blown out of, out of Long Island. They have a lot of their guys signed up here in the short term, so I don't think they have a lot of work to do beyond Lee and Dalcoli and uh, and maybe even Valtteri Philpool who's been a serviceable guy. Uh, I think he could be helpful wherever he winds up. This guy seems to be a useful part wherever he lands. At 35 years of age, I think he showed that he still has lots, lots left in the tank last year. Yeah, and I think the big thing for the Islanders is obviously net mining here. Can they get Robin Lerner back? And is he willing to kind of do that two-headed monster? It works so well for both him and Thomas Grice. Uh, I really am surprised to, to honestly say that. I, I've never been a fan of goalie splits. I don't think they have worked well historically, but this is one uh, kind of exception to, to that rule. And if he's willing to do it again, I think it could uh, set them up for some, some really good uh, success next year. And uh, so we'll see whether or not they can get him uh, to re-up. I think he's the biggest question mark there. Uh, in terms of other guys kind of kicking around, they do have Josh Hosang uh, set to be an RFA. He's been kind of this fringe guy that it seems like the Islanders faithful want him to get an opportunity, but it just doesn't happen. Um, there's a disconnect there. And it wouldn't, uh, you know, 
as New York uh, well knows, and Bobby Benilla still getting paid his uh, <laughs> usual contract for the Mets, I think we can't skip over the Islanders without talking about Rick DiPietro, who still has a number of years left on his buyout. Uh, his buyout was a 16-year buyout extended Jeez. out, so he will get his $1.5 million uh, at some point this season and all the way through the end of the 28-29 season. Uh, from there, uh, we'll move on to Winnipeg and uh, take a look at the Jets. Obviously, they made some moves uh, to shed some contract uh, you know, hit there or pending contract hit uh, with uh, Jacob Truba. They've got $23.8 million uh, available here. Neil Pionk does need to get paid. They've got Connor Hallibuck locked up, so that's not a concern. Uh, and the big name here is Patrick Laine. Uh, but let's not sleep on Kyle Connor, who also needs to get paid. Andrew Kopp has been a solid, uh, you know, third liner, sometimes second liner for them as well. And then there's question marks as what they want to do with guys like Brandon Tanev, Parland home and Matt Hendricks, kind of more uh, fringe guys that are going to be uh, UFAs, but obviously they need to figure out how much they're going to have to pay Patrick Laine. I would not be shocked to see him get above Blake Wheeler's $8.25 million deal. Um, but we shall see defensively joe morrow nathan boilo uh also going to be rfas then ufas brogdon kisovich ben sherat and tyler myers i think myers is probably the headline of that ufa group that they'll want to get back but they've got a number of youngsters who have been pushing for playtime and sammy Nuku, tucko pullman and obviously josh morrissey has really kind of uh stepped into his own so it'll be interesting to see how that blue line shakes out next year uh, especially with Pionk added to the mix. Yeah, like you, I'm concerned about what they do with Connor and Line. They got nine players to sign. They've got 23 million to use. I'm suggesting to you, more than half of that's going to go to those two guys. And uh, Patrick Line will be reminded that Austin Matthews is making over 11 million dollars a year. Just saying. <laughs> Then uh, up next, we got the Carolina Hurricanes, and uh, this is a team that all of a sudden, they were rich in the defensive side of the puck, but now they've got five guys signed after their recent deals, and uh, I, think, I think they have to fill in that last, six spot, last spot. They're going to look at uh, Gustav Forsling in-house now as the recent addition from that deal. You have to figure that they traded for him. They'll, they'll probably want to sign him to a, a nice deal and round out their top six on the blue line but they got to look for depth there they got to lo look for depth and goal and maybe straighten out that situation scott darling still on the books for the next two years but they've already said it's unlikely that they're going to bring back both of Marazic and mccallany so something has to give on the nets uh, and then sebastian aho another one of those more highly sought after rfas so uh, there's going to be a lot of headlines featuring the Carolina Hurricanes. Michael Furland, a guy who was highly sought after at the trade deadline uh, last year and last couple of years, in fact, is 27 years of age now in need of a new contract. I think he's going to be a guy that could be a cheap addition elsewhere if he's not in-house in Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's the decision of Justin Williams to whether or not he wants to come back or whether he wants to retire. I would be shocked if Justin Williams signed anywhere else. From my standpoint, it seems like it's Carolina or not at all for him. Uh, interesting, you know, kind of situation that, that came up with uh, the trade for Patrick Marlowe and the fact that, you know, Williams, Ajo, uh, you know, and Furland are, are, you know, free agents. Patrick Marlowe is currently the most expensive player on this roster <laughs> at $6.25 million. Um, I would... I would actually find it very interesting to see him actually play with this team. I, I think it could be 
actually a pretty decent fit here for them. But obviously, uh, if his heart's not in it, you don't uh, obviously want him, you know, uh, on the books for that hit. So, you know, do they do the buyout and then he resigns elsewhere? Could they figure out a trade with San Jose? I'm not sure that the Sharks want to give something up to get him when it sounds like uh, he'd be willing to come back for nothing. And as you mentioned, that that Scott Darling contract is uh, kind of uh, a a big concern here. It's a lot of money to pay a guy to sit in the minors and then to actually go home and kind of leave the team and, and kind of figure out what he's what he's doing from that standpoint. So a lot of question marks for Carolina heading into the, the season here. You've got the New Jersey Devils here, 25.7 uh, mil in cap space. That's a ton of room for this team uh, that that just brought in, you know, P.K. Subban at nine million, making him the most expensive player on the team. They're going to be looking to the future in terms of re-signing Taylor Hall. I know that'll be a priority. Obviously, the, there's concern there uh, with him, you know, not uh, ready to pull the trigger on that. They've got Nico Heischer a year out from him uh, needing to get paid as well. And then uh, the bright side for them is they'll get, uh, you know, Hughes on a three-year entry-level deal. So that's not going to break the bank for them immediately. RFAs that they need to re-up, I think they uh, should and will re-sign Miko Mueller, Will Butcher, Connor Carrick. None of those guys will really be, uh, you know, uh, piggy bank breakers there. Pavel Zaka may be the most uh, expensive guy that they're looking at there. Stefan Nosen could be a factor as well. I would be surprised to see Drew Stafford back with them. Uh, maybe Kenny Agostino, Curtis Gabriel will re-sign. Uh, both those guys will hit uh, UFA status. Uh, so that's pretty much it for them. There's not a ton uh, that they really have to worry about. Uh, so a team that could be a heavy, heavy factor uh, in the free agent market. Yeah, I think the, they've paved the way for that with the bringing in P.K. Subban and drafting the number one player in the draft. Uh, uh, that's probably turned a lot of heads and said, maybe New Jersey is a pretty good landing spot for me if I want to sign as a free agent there. So that's probably the best thing they got going for them, A.J. Uh, but the goaltending situation for me, a little bit murky. Columbus Blue Jackets, a team that stands to be the big loser this offseason in terms of losing their signature player up front and their goalie. This is a team that if they don't get it right to, to replace those guys or at least do something positive, they're, they're a lock for me to miss the playoffs next year from among the teams that com- made it this year. And in terms of the Nets, uh, they've got only one guy signed at all, and that's Elvis Merzalinkins. I sure glad I tried that name before you did. Uh, <laughs> they've got Keith Kincaid and Corpusala waiting in the wings. I'm not suggesting to you that neither one of those guys profiles as a, a number one goalie for me, despite the fact that Kincaid had a nice run for part of last season. Uh, they've got some things to do on the blue line here. Zach Wierenski is a restricted free agent. Ryan Murray, those are the two guys I think they have to sign to round out their top six. But they have some good depth there, and they might try and deal some of those for help up front. And uh, really, they have a lot of money to do some things if they want to. $30 million in cap space, and they've got to land a big fish to kind of stem the flow the outflow of uh, two of their signature players yeah absolutely and you know it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can get Duchesne uh, to re-sign here I would be surprised to see Dezingo back after he kind of found himself on the outs uh, there with with John Tortorella so uh, this is the team one of the teams to watch and uh, you know they have enough cap space that you would think 
they could be a factor in in getting uh you know uh Panarin and Bobrovsky to stay but uh, obviously if that's not in the cards then they have to look elsewhere so uh, much like they were a big player at the trade deadline they'll be a big factor here uh in free agency as well um and and we'll see where it goes you know from there we take a look at everybody's favorite whipping boy in the league, the <laughs> Ottawa Senators, 33 million in available space. Uh, you've got eight forwards, five defensemen currently locked up. They will have Cody CC as an RFA. I expect him to get a big payday. Uh, Colin White is another one. He should get a pretty decent contract from them. Uh, from there, you know, it's pretty much uh, Oscar Lindbergh, Mag- Magnus Piarvi, Brian Gibbons. Those are kind of guys that they may or may not try and do something with uh, they've got three netminders under contract next season that's a little bit of a concern how they shake out craig anderson anders nilsson and mike condon who's technically still on the books for 2.4 million uh, this is a team that does carry if they want to you know be huge spenders here right now uh, they do carry two uh, LTIR contracts in Marion Gabnick for this year and next year and Clark MacArthur uh, just for this season. So uh, there's a couple of, uh, you know, kind of options there. This ha- is a team that has a ton of money to spend uh, and guys available. Uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Christian Wolanin. He could be a factor on the blue line uh, as an RFA and whether or not they want to sign uh, Justin Falk, you know, remains to be seen. But uh, a ton of cap space. But does anybody want to go there? That's the question I'll pose to you, Paul. Does anybody want to play in Ottawa right yeah, now? Yeah, hands up everybody in the room, free agents who wants to go to Ottawa right now. And I, I don't think anybody raises their paw, AJ. This is a team that needs to straighten it out in-house before people take a look at it from outside. And uh, uh, they got a lot of work to do over here. And you might say the same thing about Colorado, or the last team we're going to look at. But really, it's a much more positive circumstance here. They've only got 13 players signed. They've got uh, $35 $35 million in cash space. They've got some work to do in terms of signing some players. Alex Kerfoot, Derek Broussard, Sven Andrighetto. Some of those players are going to get paid. Miko Rantanen, probably the biggest uh, RFA here that needs to be paid. He'll take up a big chunk of that money. On the blue line, too, they've got uh, Nikita Zadorov is a guy that I'd like to see them sign. This is a a guy who's got some untapped potential on the blue line. But they've got a solid six-pack there already on that back end. And... uh, and in the Nets, they've got to find somebody to play with Philip Grubauer here. So they've got ample room to bring in a number of players. And I think it's a much more desirable circumstance than the Ottawa Senators. What say you about that take? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you'll see, uh, you know, Rantanen will, will sign a big deal. I think Vladislav Kamenev and JT Comfort will get deals as well. Um, I would be a little surprised if they brought Derek Broussard back. I, I don't know. Uh, that he really produced well, although they might be willing uh, to do maybe a shorter term deal uh, with him in, in hopes that a full off season and everything can make him really click. Uh, I actually think they locked up their goaltending situation. They signed uh, Pavel Franco, uh, Frank, whatever, Pavel Francois, or, or if you want to correct me on that, Paul, go for it. Um, that one is an albatross for, for my mouth, that's for sure. But he's uh, making less than a mil, and I think he'll be their backup option behind Philip Grubauer. They'll let Simeon Varlamov walk and find somewhere else to call home next season. Travel Francois. I'll, I'll Frank try Cruz, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try that one. He's a 29-year-old that they're in, uh, that they signed on a $950,000 contract, so he might be odds-on guy to get that nod. 
But, uh, A.J., there's a lot of work to be done by some of the teams here, and we're going to cover some of those moves when we reconvene the next time we do this podcast shortly after the uh, July 1st starters pistol in terms of free agent frenzy and before we see each other uh, in Las Vegas. Somewhere in that gap of July the 1st to July the 8th, we'll get together again and do another pod to tell people who signed where and what the impact is on those rosters. Until then, that wraps up this episode of PupCast with Stats. Ben and AJ. Uh, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcast to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey class and research. So long, everybody. 